0: Hello Merry Christmas everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in and watching Hatikva News. Normally this channel is giving you Israel news updates and we talk about Judaism a lot. I wanted to do a special Merry Christmas episode because so many Christians are supporting Israel and I want to thank you so much for your support on behalf of all Jewish and Israeli people. We really appreciate all of the Christians who are standing by Israel in our time of need. And I also wanted to talk about how Jesus himself was Jewish and how Christianity really stems from Judaism. So in this episode, I have a special guest with me, Stacy. We're going to be talking about the history of Jesus, the history of Christianity, and how it compares with Judaism, we're also gonna talk a little bit about Kabbalah, and we have pictures of Jesus in artwork to also share with you. So this should be fun. We are not experts, so if you have anything you want to add in the comments, please feel free to fact check us, give us a little bit of your input, your thoughts, we would love to hear from you. And without further ado, let me bring in Stacy. Hey, Stacy. Hi,
1: good afternoon. How are you, Hope?
0: I'm good. How are you?
1: Good. I'd like to wish a Merry Christmas to everyone that's listening that celebrates. Merry Christmas. And I do also mirror your sentiment, the support for all the Christians and everyone worldwide who does support Israel and the Jewish people.
0: Yeah, it really has been so amazing to see their support. I was in Texas recently, and I visited a few churches, and there were just so many people saying that we are praying for Israel every day, and I even saw several Israeli flags waving while I was in Texas, so it's called the Bible Belt for a reason, and they love Jesus, and we love them right back for all their support, so really thank you so much. So Stacey, for anybody who didn't see our last interview, do you want to give just like a little update about yourself, who you are, so people know a little about you?
1: Sure. I'm a Jewish American living in South Florida, much like yourself. And I started Never Again Is Now. It's a private group on Facebook to stand in solidarity. And I actually have Christian friends, Muslim friends in that group. So if you want to search for Never Again Is Now... It's a safe space that people can post and talk about their grievances, the happiness and sadness, because this is a time everyone needs to show support and solidarity, especially to the Jewish people and to Israel.
0: And at the end of this, I forgot to link it in the description. But after we chat, I'll go and link that Facebook group in the description of this video so people can find it and find you and join the community. Thank you. Yeah, of course. So as I always report the news, I want to start this off with two news articles that Stacy and I found. Let me try to share my screen.
1: One was the Bethlehem was shut down because of the, I think it was Hamas. Unfortunately, I don't want to blame them, but I, it's, it seems to be Hamas uh, shutting down the Christian holidays. They weren't allowed to go out and celebrate in bethlehem i believe
0: yeah um i am having a little difficulty technical difficulties i would like to make this full screen okay and then make this full screen okay so people should still be able to hear us chatting while i show this article oh no this is the wrong one okay christmas celebrations canceled in bethlehem jerusalem and jordan this is on christianitytoday.com if anybody wants to go see the article for themselves So, gutted by Gaza, Holy Land Christians exchange holiday cheer for a hallowed Christmas Eve in solidarity with suffering neighbors. Um, I'm not going to read this whole article, but pretty much local authorities are saying that it's not an appropriate time to do their regular festivities, which normally In Bethlehem and Nazareth there is a huge Christmas festival and um, it's been canceled uh, I believe like the first time ever there might have been one or two other instances in the past modern history where things have been canceled or shut down. so that is an update there about Bethlehem. And then I also have another article here um, again about Bethlehem. This is also on Christianity today. and
1: Christmas celebrations. A- yeah, the Jerusalem yeah. in Bethlehem. and then you have um, you had another link that Christianity and Judaism or two abrahamic religions that have similar origins that was after the two articles we had in the notes that you posted
0: yes i will bring that up in one second i just want to mention um, that emmanuel evangelical church in bethlehem instead of christmas lights the senior pastor nihad salman rummaged out a banner from the church closet The banner has a picture of a woman fleeing bombshelled buildings and printed in Arabic are the words, let us arise and worship. The last time this banner was out was two years ago in May 2021 with the Israel Hamas conflict. And that's funny. So that was, yeah, that was more than two years ago, but okay. Um, He sees an opportunity to preach the gospel to people who live under military occupation while grieving the deaths of their people in Gaza. So if you'd like to read these articles, they are there for you. Um, Bethlehem was Judea and Samaria. It is now part of the West Bank and 30,000 people live there. Normally, three million visitors come from all over the world to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Yes. And normally, it's full of, like, marching bands and carol singers and dancers and fireworks. As I said, it's normally huge, huge festivities, and sadly, those festivities have been canceled. That's yes. And so as you mentioned, yes, the Christian and Jewish religion are two Abrahamic religions. They have similar origins. This I will link in the bio for all of you as well. And it kind of does an overview of Christianity versus Judaism, what they have in common and what their differences are. And you want to say for the the non
1: for the do you want to do you think it's worth a, one or two sentences for the people that are christian or catholic to just say like the distinction that you know the old testament and the torah and that they went and adopted the new testament we don't we acknowledge it exists but it came after the torah and the talmud so we don't we acknowledge the new testament exists but we don't follow the teachings of the new testament that's i think those are the fundamental Christianity versus Judaism differences.
0: Yeah, that is a great synopsis and summary that perfectly describes this. And this will just go into more detail for all of you. And um, as for like the founders, right? Christianity, the founder is the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Judaism, we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses. And... Um, there's just like a lot of very interesting things here in this article. This is on Diffin.com. I will link it in the description. So one of the big differences between Christianity and Judaism is the second coming of Jesus, which Christians believe in. And Judaism, it's quote unquote denied, but it's just, it's not part of our religion, Um, it's just not something that we believe in because we believe in the Old Testament while Christians believe in the New Testament. And the population difference is huge. There's over 2 billion Christians worldwide. And there is about 16 million Jews.
1: Big difference.
0: Yeah, big difference. Um... And like, as you really, you can just, we have so much to talk about today, so I don't want to spend too yeah, much so on this much. article. Yeah, we can just barely,
1: I mean, we could I think we, you had a great outline. We can, if you wanted, I'll take your lead to just touch upon, uh, starting with, did you want to go over the science? You had mentioned something about the, uh. Um, yeah,
0: I do yeah. want to talk about that. I just want to like scroll down through this so people can fully see what this article is. And, um. Oh, I did want to mention this. So in Christianity, if you're an atheist, you're not considered Christian. But in Judaism, if you are an atheist, you are still Jewish because it is an ethnicity. And this has been widely debated in this like modern war that we are seeing. And Judaism is not just a religion, but also an ethnicity because we are an ethno-religion because we are indigenous to the land of Judea, which is now modern day Israel. So I did want to make that heard. I wanted to well, say that out you, loud. Um, the other thing that's
1: interesting is whether you like it or not, especially if, if your mother's Jewish, even if your father isn't, you're Jewish. So it doesn't matter. Yes. <laughs> you're considered yes. Jewish. So you could be atheist as well or agnostic, but by, Jewish law. You are Jewish.
0: <laughs> yes, and um, this was not in my notes, but just so everybody knows, Israel changed the right of re- law, uh, right of return. It's a law of return, and prior to like three or four years ago, it was based on the lineage of your mother but uh, they recently changed this as of a few years ago. And actually the right of return is dependent on if any one of your grandparents were Jewish from any side. So if anybody wants to go move to Israel and become (laughs) a citizen of Israel, you just have to prove that one of your grandparents was Jewish. So just a little fact.
1: That's great great to point out to everyone. Yeah.
0: And a lot of people's families became Christian as well, right? But you might have a Jewish grandmother or grandfather. So if you want to go live in Israel, you can.
1: It's very interesting. I actually had dinner with a family last night that, that they're Argentine Jews, Argentinian Jews. And it's not funny, but it was kind of ironic to me, I guess is a better way to say it, is that it's like, who fled to Argentina? They were either Nazis or they were Jews trying to flee persecution. So it was just, I found that very interesting because their family had fled for the Jewish side to Argentina, however many years ago. So it's, uh, and they, they didn't find out, one of them didn't find out until she was like 40 that she was Jewish. No one ever told her. Because that's what they did right. back. She's like in her 60s. So, like, back, whatever it was, 30 years ago, they just hush, hush. And then she actually approached her family and she said, I, I have a feeling I'm Jewish. There just seems to be too many clues. And they're like, OK, fine. Yes, you're Jewish.
0: Well, <laughs> Yeah, because that's how a lot of people survived. They had to hide their Judaism. And so it makes perfect sense. And I think that's also why Israel wanted to change the law to make sure that we are encompassing more of the diaspora. Because again, Jews have fled all over the world. They had to change their identity, their names. A lot of them had to assimilate into the current culture that they were living in and assimilate to those customs. And so... Yeah, maybe do a DNA check, check your lineage, check who your family is, if you don't know. And uh, you can move to Israel if you want. There happens to be.
1: That's what I was going to
0: say. Did you, are
1: you in, are you in that other Jewish Lives Matter? It's changed names like four times. There's thousands of members. And I see all these people all the time. They're like, should I do 23andMe or should I do whatever the other one is, because people are now more than ever curious in a good way to find their Jewish lineage. So that's exciting. But uh, our our special guest of today actually is also Jewish that we're speaking about.
0: Jesus. Yes. Right. <laughs> Let's get back to Jesus. Okay. So um, yesterday on the podcast, I did a little chat about the birth of Jesus which I want to do one more time let's get a get a little overview um and then we'll talk about some science too that I found kind of interesting so let me okay so The emperor demands that all of the Roman world, including the Hebrew people, return to their ancestral homeland in order to be taxed. A decree from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth and all were proceeding to register for the census, so everyone had to go to his own city. Which brings us to Joseph, originally being from Bethlehem, must escort pregnant Mary on an arduous journey to his home city, 90 miles away. Jesus is mother, occup- and
1: mother. We have to tell them that's his mother. Sorry. That's his mother and father is Joseph and Mary. Some say it's God's his father, but the most of the scholars, PhD people teaching in college campuses around the world, it's Joseph is the father. Mary is, is the mother, but that's in dispute. But if you, if you agree that there's two human parents, then it's, I just wanted to point out, it is Mary and Joseph.
0: Yes, 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 yes. Uh, the son of God had human parents. <laughs>
1: yeah, we have okay. to say that some very religious people, they think God was, because they think, they say Mary is a virgin, and that's why I'm saying that, because if it's the Virgin Mary, that implies very seriously that she had no father, and that would be, well, the God is the father, of the of jesus so
0: a lot of this we're just gonna lean into faith some of it is backed up by facts and science but the roman occupied land at the time was not a place that the hebrew people were in control over their own fate rome was in control of these people And Hebrew families were under brutal occupation of the foreign entity, the Roman Empire. So Mary and Joseph arrived to a crowded Bethlehem. It is at capacity. There is no lodging available. So Mary gave birth in what was most likely a stable. And she wrapped Jesus in swaddling clothes and then laid Jesus in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. Matthew and Luke both give different information. Yes, they both give different information and accounts of how to share the news about Jesus. So Matthew in chapter 2 verse 9 says, God conveys the news. Through a wondrous morning star, it serves as a beacon for foreign dignitaries who travel hundreds of miles to pay homage to the infant Jesus. In Luke, he says, A message of birth is carried by an angel. It is delivered not to powerful foreigners, but to the local area's most humble inhabitants. And then also in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, He calls it the city of David, which Mm -hmm. I really like to just reiterate and point out because we're talking about their ancestral homeland, the ancestral homeland of the Jewish people because Jesus was indeed a Jew. And before we get too much further into Jesus and everything we have to talk about Jesus, I want to bring up something that I thought was really interesting there are scientists who have been trying to prove the miracle of Jesus. And as Stacy was saying, you know, there's some debates between scholars. Well, if he's the son of God, how does he have two parents? How does he have a father that's not God? His father's Joseph. And what's going on here? Right. There are a lot of different accounts about who Mary may have been, what she'd been up to, what she was doing, which I know, Stacy, you'll mention A little bit about here in a second. I just want to point out this science that people are, scientists are really digging into a concept. Reproductive biology phenomenon known as parthenogenesis, a rare process in some plants and animals when the egg can develop into a new organism on its own without being fertilized. No instance of this process has been recorded in a human female, but it still leaves open possibility that virgin birth could have a basis in science. And I thought that was really interesting. You know, a lot of people believe in the miracle of Jesus and his birth with their whole heart, with all of their fate and faith. And I don't want to discredit that at all. I completely respect everybody's beliefs on. Christianity, Judaism, Jesus, everybody to each their own. But the idea that scientists are trying to figure out exactly how Jesus came to be, I found very, very fascinating.
1: And I know
0: you had some thoughts about Mary and Joseph, so. Yeah, well, it's just
1: interesting because the adoration of the Magi and the, what was it, three wise men and the main, the Jesus in the manger, so. One interesting point that I found is Jesus and his prophecies in his travels, he didn't gain a lot of, um, I can't think of the name now. He didn't, he didn't gain a lot of momentum until he was at least 30. So it's just interesting that now, and I I am a lover and study of art history. So you have all these paintings and all these things. I think my theory is it's all retroactive, meaning, he did everything that he did and he was the savior, the Messiah, and he turned water into wine and all these things. And then they went back and the manger thing and went back with the adoration of the Magi and the three wise men after he had proven himself to be their savior and the Messiah and everything. Because if you notice the historians don't say, you know, at 12 years old, he was sitting there, you know, healing people. This guy had a withered hand. He was in the temple in Jerusalem and the the guy's withered hand became normal. That did not happen until he was at least thirty. That's that's what all the scholars agree on. So that's why I found it was interesting. Is all these nativity scenes and everything. In my opinion, and I can't. And this is everyone's speculation. Is just all those scenes we see in Christianity depicted in art. The paintings are are after he had done everything and had been so prolific and so interesting that they went back and said, "Wait, where did he grow up? How did how was he born?" That's my
0: two cents on it. I love it. I love it. No, that's a good point. So let's talk about some of the prophecies and then discuss who Jesus was. So there is a prophecy in the Old Testament. The uh, Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 is a prophecy of the coming Messiah. Now, the Old Testament was translated into Greek, into like a Greek Torah, if you will. And that is the version that was available to Matthew and Luke. And so when this Hebrew Torah was translated into a Greek Torah, they translated the word Alma, which means young woman, into Parthenos, which means virgin. So here we have a little bit of a translation error, a disconnect in what the Old Testament prophecy was, which is the fact that the Messiah was going to be born of a young woman. And then we have Matthew and Luke who are writing the New Testament from the Greek version of the Old Testament where there are some translation errors. And so, again, we're having this correlation between fact and faith. Faith. Fact and faith. And we aren't here fact-checking Jesus or Christianity. We're just throwing out some information and just talking about Jesus and the Old Testament, Judaism, the New Testament, Christianity, and how all of these things are correlating and there is a lot that can be taken from both in order to live a great life and to have um appreciation for people you know all of the things that jesus preached which we will get to
1: we will get to yes i think let's talk about is just one quick thing is that, so the original, the only thing you can speak back in those days, you spoke Aramaic or you spoke Hebrew, that was it. It was later translated, of course, into Greek. Uh, but but my opinion is Jesus had to have spoken Aramaic or Hebrew or both. It, it was later the Greek. And part of the issue that I'm talking, that you are speaking about, Pope, is that with Matthew and Luke, is that these are later Christian the best way to say it is two guys are branching out and they're like this is my interpretation well this is my interpretation so that's where it kind of converged and then it f- further converged hundreds of years later i'm a protestant i'm a catholic after christianity so it is interpretation because to your point um just so everyone understands virgin tra- in the translation that you're talking about it just meant young woman it did not mean virgin so they literally took that to say interpretation is virgin so that's another one of the things that the scholars are speaking about and just one quick point is that uh john the baptist who who baptized uh jesus christ um it's interesting to see when you talk about messiah if you're talking about was the premonition that john the baptist who was a messiah who did baptize jesus was that the premonition they were talking about in the bible or was this the one and only jesus they were talking about because There is no dispute with the scholars, even though Jesus is more important, that John the Baptist was uh, a prophecy, uh, a scholar, a person that had a lot of followers. And he was the precursor of why people got scared of Jesus and why he eventually met his demise after John the Baptist uh, was uh, murdered. He was beheaded. But anyway.
0: Up on the screen over my face, I did put up the map of the Nazareth to Bethlehem route, if anybody wants to see that while we were chatting. Um, we're going to get to Jesus's demise. And I was chatting with Nadia a few weeks ago and she said that she thought part of that demise was actually because Jesus was practicing too much Kabbalah.
1: Really? So yeah. Back, I, how much was was around back then? we will get to the kabbalah Kabbalah
0: section soon (laughs) um let's let's talk a little bit more about how jesus was a jew Mm -hmm. so jesus was born into a jewish family as we've talked about i just showed the map that is modern day israel and the west bank it is judea and samaria it is the kingdom of israel the kingdom of judea it was once the 12 tribes of israel that land itself has had many different names and many different rulers yes. but joseph and mary were a jewish family and jesus grew up in a jewish community He was raised in accordance with Jewish customs, so he observed all of the Jewish holidays and religious practices. Throughout his life, Jesus engaged with Jewish religious leaders, he taught in synagogues, he celebrated Jewish festivals, and his teachings were rooted in the Old Testament and Jewish scriptures and in the ethics of Judaism which I would like to refer back to that chart that I showed that had Christianity and Judaism and their similarities and differences. Their similarities are a lot more intertwined than I think a lot of maybe non-believers of either non-Christian faith or non-Jewish faith would assume. Um, I think even people of Jewish faith don't really understand Christianity that much. So maybe some Jewish people who watch my channel already are going to get a little excited about Jesus and the fact that he was teaching Judaism. And to that point, a lot of his initial followers were actually Jewish. So there is a practice in judaism i don't have this written down but this i wanted to make sure i mentioned this in judaism you need oh i do have something written down about a minion but in judaism you need 10 men in order to perform a special prayer and then jesus himself had technically 12 disciples one of them went against him though so now we're down to 11. so he still sort of had a minion of his own maybe he just allowed a couple extra in for good measure yes um and then uh, let's talk a little
1: bit uh, i wrote down um the kingdom so they were called the 12 apostles the 12 tribes of israel interesting and also known in the kingdom of david so that's all
0: jewish that's all
1: old testament
0: yeah 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 and uh we were gonna talk about uh how jesus was definitely of middle eastern descent you had a little bit yeah. to say on that
1: i posted something so i i have studied art history for many years and i just want people to understand that he would have been olive skinned or even darker than that on the darker side the darkest side like almost like Yemenite. Um, possibly very dark hair, almost black. He would have been bearded. Um, and because I just want to point out that there were three people that had power and influence to paint to commission paintings for hundreds of years. I'm talking for 900 years. Those were the church, which had so much money, it wasn't even funny. Those were rich people that were landowners. So You know, that's why like Peter Bruegel in like 1600s was like painting peasants. That was not common. But my point is the reason why that you see uh, what the subjects of the painting and the depiction of the subjects is because once Christianity took hold and paganism was out, uh, starting in the 1200s and 1300s, you have all these churches with, with billions of dollars, even back then, probably the Vatican was so wealthy, commissioning these paintings, the blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus, this and that, with white skin. He most certainly would not have been, but you have to appease your client. So that's why you see hundreds of years of Jesus with the light skin, the light hair, the light eyes, because that was the Anglo-Saxon. We're talking France, England, Germany, uh, Northern Europe. So that was why he's depicted as such. So that's why when I posted on facebook today that gentleman i posted is literally what archaeologists think he would have looked like
0: jesus amazing should yeah. i since we since you just mentioned all of that should i start bringing up the art images that we have of jesus
1: yeah. i did feel like that ties in really
0: well?
1: you did a velasquez and an el greco those are both from spain those are both famous spanish artists uh el greco means the greek um and I don't know if, if they're coming up, but I can I can just look at, at your Let's, notes and just tell you who these painters are.
0: So I was going to bring up the first image, which is a mural painting from the Catacomb of Comedia. And that is – sorry, guys. Oh, the oldest mural? It. Yeah. That's yes. the oldest
1: known um, – the oldest known um, picture of Christ that was found in the catacombs. So we they found this, they're a few thousand years old. So if you go underneath, literally underneath the city of Rome, there's a catacomb. So the first picture, which is a mural, which is not a painting, because back in the day, it's so ancient, they didn't paint on canvas or on wood or any other surface. So this was painted on the actual walls underneath Rome in the catacombs is the first uh depiction of jesus that we acknowledge is what you have there is in your your photos it's page i know but of- i
0: don't have it in the software that we're chatting on right now i can't
1: find it. <laughs> okay. i'll just tell you it's it's definitely you want me to read what it says the mural
0: yeah yeah okay.
1: Mural painting is from the catacombs of uh, Comodilla, Bus of Christ. This is one of the first bearded images of Christ. Earlier Christian art in Rome portrayed Jesus most often as the good shepherd, disguised as Orpheus, young, beardless, and in a short tunic. During the fourth century, Jesus was beginning to be depicted as a man of identifiably Jewish appearance with a full beard and long hair, a style not visibly worn by Romans. That's a good point to mention, by the way, because that wasn't like in this time of ancient Rome, okay, sorry, I just say the last sentence, the symbols on either side are Alpha and Omega, signifying I am the beginning and the end. Date is the late fourth century. So believe it or not, um, in this time of Julius Caesar, ancient Rome, and even the people after him that ruled after him in Rome, it was like somewhat short hair, always cleanly shaven. It went off and on, but more cleanly shaven than not. So that is also significant for art historians that this is the first bearded Jesus because they're basically saying, like I was saying before, it's not a commission by a Roman emperor because clearly it's a beard. You know what I mean? Like They're clearly showing how they they truly believe Jesus would have looked over 2000 years ago. Not like a Roman in that time, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. I really wish I could find it I'm over here like hunting. I'm so upset.
1: That's okay. I think it's yeah. I think it's 8 16 or 18. And you have a you have a few That's other That's not how uh, I
0: saved them. I didn't save them right. All right, all right, all right. So we're going to give up on the first one. Let's keep going. So the so, next yeah, one. Is so. The last
1: supper um it the last that supper enough. is known in um so the last supper when was that? That was, wasn't that the day before, the first day of Passover or the, in the historical significance um, that was, well, first of all, it's the last supper because he literally was murdered the next day, but it's also I think it was the to-
0: night before Passover started.
1: Okay, I think you're right. The night before Passover started. I believe um, with that, that was the 12th, uh, disciples and one of them would betray him because you said the one fell off and that would be Judas, who led to his demise. But yeah, that's your second uh, image.
0: I have it up on the screen and it is full screen, so it's totally covering our faces so everybody can see it nice and big. It's an absolutely beautiful work of art and Leonardo da Vinci is a mastermind.
1: Yes, he's great. Yeah. They redid it. They redid um, in Italian. It's called Cinacolo, which just means a circle. And, and actually it means in Italian, if you actually say Chinacolo in Italian, and they know you're in an art history sphere, they know you're talking about his painting, believe it or not. So his painting has its own name in Italian. And it's a beautiful thing. They redid it about 30 years ago because it's very hard when you're in, it's in Milan. Uh, since it's painted on a fresco, it's painted on basically stucco. Um, it doesn't hold up too well with the elements so don't forget these people had no air condition, no heating, no windows. So it, it didn't hold up very well. And it was painted in, I, I don't know, like 15, 18, 15, 19 or something. So they, they've redone it uh, two or three times, but it is beautiful. It, it, you should, if anyone gets a chance, they should see it.
0: Yeah. And um, it is just anybody listening on the podcast version of this. It portrays Jesus and his 12 disciples gathered for their final meal together before Jesus's crucifixion. The painting captures the moment when Jesus reveals that one of his disciples will betray him. The disciples are shown in various poses, expressing shock, disbelief, and concern. And I did watch like a little history lesson on Jesus last night. And mm-hmm. I happened to catch the part of this. And he also tells his disciples a few things privately that each disciple is going to go through. Just another way that Jesus was prophesizing the future in order again for his disciples to understand that he knew what was coming and what was going to happen and also for his disciples to not be afraid that everything that Jesus was going to go through was because of what God had planned for him because he didn't want his disciples to end up causing an uprising to save his life. So it was a very, very interesting historical movie. It was on the History Channel. If anybody wants to watch it, I thought it was great. I really did. I loved it. So, all right. So that was Leonardo da Vinci. And let's move on to...
1: Next one's Raphael and the Transfiguration. Um, And that's in the Louvre, which is in uh, Paris. There's a lot of, so Chinacolo there's a, there's, that's really kind of a one in, of a kind, cause it's on Fresco and it's on, it's on the wall in, in Milan. But this one that you're, you're showing that is- uh,
0: I have it up now. Beautiful.
1: Yeah, is this, I can't tell because this could very well be, it's kind of grainy. Cause Raphael did a lot of tapestries like carpets as well as painting. So it's, it's pretty grainy. I can't tell if it's a painting, but we'll assume it's a painting. But this is the transfiguration that you have next that Raphael did.
0: That's what I have up. I have the transfiguration up.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, One of his finest works as well as his last. And it was commissioned by Cardinal Giulio de' Medici of the banking family of the same name. Yes. Yes originally intended for the Narbonne Cathedral in France, where it would have served as the center entrepleture. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, it okay. now resides in the Vatican's Pinacoteca.
1: Pinacoteca. Yeah, it, it, it should be there because honestly, like Raphael was beloved by Pope Julius II in the Vatican and like he was his like favorite he did a lot of tapestries. They have a huge collection of tapestries, like carpeting in the, hanging in the Vatican oh, with Raphael. Oh,
0: apologies. I did not switch the image. You're right. You're right. So I'm sorry you guys. I Well, Are you on YouTube? Do you have the YouTube up so you can see what I'm pulling up? You're the art history major. You can double check that okay. I'm pulling up the right images. <laughs> um, right,
1: I don't have it up at all. I'm going to put it up right I'm now. I'm trying
0: to, like, give people a lesson, and I don't have it right. I think this is actually what we were trying to discuss. So this is the note. transfiguration. Okay. Have it over my face. This is the transfiguration. It's absolutely beautiful. Um 1516 to 1520.
1: Yeah, that's the time of Raphael. There was some overlap with Leonardo da Vinci, but Leonardo da Vinci was was older than he. So, but he's he was he was just unbelievable. I'm just trying to get on. Hold on to my I'm gonna go on the link that you sent me to get to um to see if if you're because i can't see it from here on the ecam. it's not showing so let me see what it
0: so the artwork can be as observed as portraying two images that oppose each other at the base level on the one side you have christ with his power to redeem the upper section of the composition is symbolic of the pure and symmetrical elements of the universe on the lower yes. section The painting portrays man and all of his shortcomings, represented by the scenes of chaos and gloom. This would be the last work he would ever create and continued to work on until the last day of his life.
1: Yeah, this is That is stunning. No, it's beautiful. And these are huge. Like, all his stuff, he did Go Big or Go Home. Like, Raphael did very few small. I mean, you would have 20 foot ceilings, 20, 30 foot ceilings, and he would have the whole, uh, much of the wall would be one of his paintings. And the same with the tapestries were pretty, were pretty large as well. But yeah, it's, it's beautiful. That, that was, at this time, the point is, is all you had, this was the only game in town and for about three or 400 years, well, more than that. Yeah. Okay. Let's just say three to 400 from the thirteen to the 1600s, a lot of what you saw was going to be uh, depicting Christianity, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, and all Christian things, because again, the the church had the power, the Vatican, other churches around the world, who has the money, who's going to get the commissions is, you know, the church. So that's why it was, and when you see the doom and gloom, what they're trying to say is, is God and Christ are merciful, God and Christ, and the Uh, prophets and the other um, saints, but make no mistake, you should be in fear of God. So that was the other thing they were trying to impart to the people living in whatever area we're seeing these paintings.
0: And I believe that that fear of God is true in Judaism and Christianity.
1: Yes, for sure.
0: So, let's go to Michelangelo, The Last Judgment. Mm -hmm. I have that here. This is stunning. This has so much detail. It's absolutely immaculate. Um, I can't even fit it on the screen big enough necessarily. anybody watching uh anybody listening on the podcast if you want to come over to youtube this is absolutely amazing and if you just want to see this one particular painting you can fast forward to 44 minutes in so this currently is located in the Sistine Chapel the massive masterpiece was created by Michelangelo and it takes up the complete wall of the chapel's altar.
1: Yeah, it's magnificent. It's awe-inspiring. And, and he, uh, he actually was kidnapped by Pope Julius II and taken. He's Michelangelo was from Florence. So they, Pope Julius II, the, the pope at the time of this commission, was, he kidnapped him. And he's like, you're going to do these frescoes. He's like, no, I'm a sculptor. I'm a sculptor. I'm not a painter. I'm not painting. That's not what I do. I sculpt. So he's like no you're gonna come and you're gonna paint this so what happened was he ended up kit literally twice he kidnapped him pope julius ii and yeah the medici family was was money behind this but the person that was strong arming michelangelo to do this painting this fresco it's not a painting it's a fresco it's on the ceiling of the sistine chapel to do this uh painting so i didn't know i was going to talk about this but um in case anyone cares. Uh, this was in a very important work, very interesting. And it's it's just awe-inspiring. It's magnificent. It's a magnificent building. Everything about it is is outstanding. So uh, I do hope that you get a chance to go to Rome or the Last Supper's in Milan. Uh, the other one that you're talking about was uh, the Louvre, which is in Paris. But these are just some examples of, of just, I guess the best thing to say about this is how important Jesus is throughout history and represented in, um, all types of European culture throughout the centuries.
0: Yes, definitely. And just a side note, uh, Michelangelo was 67 years old at the time of painting this. I have that little history note here, um, And at the beginning of this, the men in the painting were portrayed as being naked. They were later covered with draperies that were painted over the offending regions.
1: Right. There was controversy about that because essentially St. Peter's Basilica, which is where all the popes are buried, is is literally next door of the Capella Sistina, the Sistine Chapel. So imagine you have, like, it's a super pious time. It's the 1500s and you've got popes and it's the Vatican. And then this guy is painting literally naked men and women. So um, they had times of modesty and devout Christianity throughout the years. And I think at some point they said, this is beautiful, but we can't have this literally directly near the church where we are burying the most pious catholic people in the world the popes you're gonna have to cover yes people up.
0: <laughs> yes uh okay so christ carrying the cross by el greco
1: yeah that means the greek uh, el greco is uh some sometime later he's about 150 years later yep. not that he's one. he's influential i mean his, his art's cool he's very yes. um he's um He's a, one of the most influential, like him, Velasquez. There's, there's like five or six that are extremely uh, influential. Obviously, Picasso, but for his time, he was one of the only games in town. And this is also a very large painting. There's one of these in the uh, the Met, the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, and I'm sure there's more than one because he was so famous. There's probably a few of these similar. Um, I would imagine in Spain where he's from, even though he's, he's Greek, but he, he spent most of his life and work uh, was in Spain, El Greco. Uh,
0: they were genuinely unique since he blended, blended the artistic elements of three separate areas, an ideal of art.
1: He was very revolutionary, for, especially for his time his stuff is very macabre. It's very dark. Uh, I've seen many of his things. It's like, if it's a castle on the hill, it's just grays and blacks. He just, he doesn't have sunny light uh, depictions of Christ or anyone or anything for that matter. So all of his stuff is very, I can show you offline more of the things, but it's, it's all in on brand for El Greco, his paintings, like the one that you showed of Christ.
0: All right, and um, let's do the supper at Imas by Caravaggio.
1: Yeah, he's fabulous, Caravaggio. The Jesus
0: mm-hmm. wow. painting. So, painting. um, I'm not sure which one of these is Jesus, though. So, I, Jesus, is it the man in the middle.
1: It's it. So he he paints. So Caravaggio uh, was like early 16, 1600s. All his people, so I can't, it's grainy, the one, but I know this painting, I don't even need to see it. So the one that has like the draped, because the thing I'm seeing is super grainy, I can look on YouTube. Okay, so that's Greek, so uh, that's uh, Jesus. So the person that has the halo, they're either, there's two things when you have a halo, you're either a saint or you're Jesus, or obviously baby Jesus or Mary or Joseph, all those fall into the category. So be mindful of whoever has the halo and whoever's like this is saying a prophecy or they're the one speaking. So all this has symbolism. I can't see that grainy photo, but I have seen the painting millions of yeah, times. Yeah, for some reason oh. the
0: PDF I sent you, all of the images turned out grainy, that's my bad. But um, okay. it's on YouTube and it's funny because one of the guys in here, it might be the halo you're talking about, it almost looks like a kippah. Which is what yeah. Jewish people wear. Right, exactly.
1: I'm trying to look through yeah.
0: your... The Supper at Imas, one of Caravaggio's most renowned religious paintings, represents the moment when the risen Christ first showed himself to two of his followers, most likely Cleopas and Luke, in the village of Imas. So emotional and physical with lighting that was very dramatic
1: yeah so caravaggio he's the master of charoscuro which means light and dark he does that for dramatic so i don't have to see this painting because that's what he does so you're gonna see like whoever (laughs) the important people are illuminated then there's always like very dark almost black shadows because he's drawing attention to whoever his point of interest is and so that's why You see a lot of light and dark in that painting, which I can't see, but I've seen before.
0: And um, something interesting here is that Christ is seen beardless, which we don't see a lot of. So he has a fresh cut face and the two apostles are realizing and witnessing a supernatural event. So, very, very cool. I'm really loving all of the depictions of Jesus in art throughout our history. It's really yeah. fascinating. Um, so, we have Christ Crucified, 1632, by Diego Velazquez.
1: Yeah, he's and very, he was one of the only, here. he was extremely influential, extremely famous. Um, he's world famous now, but he was like, I mean, pe- people were going, he was coming to all the London, France, Italy um, showcasing his works. He was, he was one of the best around uh, Velazquez. Uh, and he also does, he, he did portraits to famous like wealthy people, kings and queens. But, but again, it's, it's people say, why are all these, they go to museums, why are all these portraits there? And why are all these pictures of Christ and Mary and Jesus? Well, that's who is paying their bills. And that's why there are so many of those paintings.
0: Ah, yes, yes. And apart from the cross, the artwork is remarkable for its absence of story elements. So I guess, you know, sometimes one word says it all. And in this case, one image says it all. And uh, just a quote about this remarkable uniqueness and mastering in its combination of calm Grandeur and majesty. This painting is regarded as a watershed moment in the Velazquez creative growth. And also, as you mentioned, Velazquez did a lot of work for kings and queens and stuff. He served as King Philip's royal painter.
1: Yes, he King was it. That was Philip it. If there was a painting, he did it for years. He did the whole family. If they were going to commission, and that's a huge uh, prestige and honor to be literally, I'm like the royal court's portraitist, but he was. Yeah, Velasquez was.
0: Yeah. Very, very interesting. Um, we have a few more pictures of Jesus. I'm just going to keep pulling them up. Let's see what else we got. I mean, it's r- remarkable that this is the one I accidentally pulled up earlier. This is by Paul Galgain. Is that how you say oh, yeah. it? The, the yellow yeah, Christ
1: french painter yeah he was some years later he's like 1800s um and i think he was considered a yeah he's like on the cusp of post-impressionist so um
0: he had a lot of uh, he
1: went he had this affinity with like he went to tahiti he was very much linked to tahitian uh he he went there and he fell in love with it but He's a very uh, famous post-impressionist artist. You can see a lot of him in the Musée d'Orsay, which is an old train station turned into a post-impressionist art museum in Paris. But he's great. This is just, but what I'm saying, this is a one-off. He didn't do a lot of these Jesus paintings. He did a lot of more people, daily life, Tahitian art and things of that nature. Um, Oh, and then you have a dolly. I think you have a dolly here.
0: I do. Of course I do. Uh, let's do... Is that next? Yes, it is. So we have the Christ of St. John on the Cross, 1951, by Salvador Dali. And that is here. This is very interesting. It You can tell it's made in earlier times too because i mean just like the imagery the the colors they definitely had better uh better craft to work with yeah and if anyone likes this there's
1: a dolly museum in st petersburg it's dedicated to dolly so you can go on the west coast of florida He's he's very out there. It's it's very surrealist, but Christ is featured uh, fairly often in his. He, he was he's one of a kind, Dolly, but this is um, this is one of many. Uh, how should I say subjects that he has had more than once in his artwork,
0: mm-hmm. Dolly. It is possible to interpret the triangle as a nod to the Holy Trinity. But the circle may stand for unity, which means that everything is interconnected. Despite the fact that it depicts the crucifixion, the artwork is free of nails and blood. Yes, very interesting. And yeah, you're right. It is really surrealism. Surreal. Yeah, because he's like floating in the sky with the cross being crucified it's really it's it's a, uh i don't know if youtube will allow me to say what i want to say but imagine if you're on a little something something looking at this in real life you're just like in the painting that's what it feels That's like.
1: and also the angle is is very unorthodox which everything about him is unorthodox but if you look at the angle i mean no one does you're essentially you can't be above the cross but you are And then this, this vantage point is just extremely uh, innovative and interesting. You're looking almost down on the Christ. And usually it's like you're at eye level of the Christ on the cross, or you're looking up at the Christ on the cross, the crucifixion.
0: And uh, this says after a cosmic dream that Salvador Dali had is when he decided to paint this picture. So I wonder if his cosmic dream was somewhat induced. (laughs) <laughs> Every painting he
1: had is a, is a, is a freaking cosmic dream. Everything he, I mean, all his stuff is so out there. It's almost disturbing yeah. in nature, but he, but he, this is a really, I, I think this is one of his better works. I, I like him, but he's a, an acquired taste. He definitely is because you'll see a painting. There's a woman half naked. Then there's a fish. Then there's an eye. I mean, all of his stuff is. Yeah. Out there. Amazing
0: amazing all right you guys so that is our segment on Jesus in art I I want to move on to like a couple other things that I've taken notes on here let me quickly mention what a minion is so Jesus had 12 disciples and he performed many miracles with his disciples and with just the people of israel and so i just want to touch base on what a minion is and how judaism uses a minion i'm not saying jesus's disciples were a minion but they really could be translated or depicted as a minion because a Jewish minion is a gathering of 10 Jewish adults, traditionally males, but in some communities, both males and females are included. It really depends on what religious sect of Judaism you are. They have different rules. Um, and this minyan, they come together for communal prayer. The term minyan comes from the Hebrew word meaning count or number. And in Judaism, a minion is required for communal prayers, such as the Kaddish. That's our morning prayer. Not not morning, but um, in morning. Uh, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. And uh, the public reading of the Torah. You also need a minion. And other important rituals. It's believed that the presence of a minion enhances the spiritual experience and creates a sense of community. Of course it would. It's always better to pray yes. with more people than just by yourself. And yes. so the requirements of 10 individuals is based on a passage in the Talmud, which states that God's presence is especially manifest when a group of 10 Jews gather for prayer. The minion is trans. Traditionally formed by Jewish adults who have reached the age of religious maturity, which in Judaism is a bar or bat mitzvah. That is the age of 12 or 13. Yeah. And the minion holds significance in Jewish life as it represents a community coming together to fulfill religious obligations and support one another in prayer and mourning. So the reason I wanted to bring that up is because I find it so interesting that Jesus had 12 disciples. Israel had 12 tribes. A minion is at least 10 adults over the age of 12 or 13. And all of this is saying That God is more powerful with a community, with a group of people. It it just makes you wonder, as we already know, Jesus was raised Jewish. He already knew about a minion. He himself then created his disciples in a minion sort of way, praying with them. And as we will get to the Kabbalah part of everything, creating these miracles and really using this religious prayer community to ultimately fulfill his miracles.
1: Yes.
0: Very interesting. It's Super very, very interesting. interesting. Um, Okay, so before we get to Kabbalah, let's talk about the Mikvah and baptism. Yes. So so for anybody who doesn't know what a mikvah is, it is a pol- it's a pool of naturally occurring water used for ritual cleansing in Judaism. Historically, mikvahs were often underground streams, wells, or specifically crafted rain cisterns. Cis- cis- cisterns. Yes. Yeah, I think that's the word. In modern times, the mikvah often consists of several pools with rain water, touching pools of tap water, conferring their natural status on them as well. This allows for clean, pleasant, and warm water, or mikvah. In recent decades, mikvahs have been increasingly beautiful, offering a serene and enjoyable experience. In addition to the actual mikvah pool, there are often showers, baths, and everything else a person may need to get ready for the mikvah. So I have so much information on the mikvah. Maybe we'll dive deeper into that next time. But the mikvah is used to convert to Judaism. The mikvah is used for a Jewish couple in order to have physical top. Ta- for a Jewish couple to have physical contact whenever yes. the wife has her time of the month. Again, yes. a purification process. Um, this also depends on how, how much you follow Jewish halachic law. And right. how much you are practicing your Judaism. There's different levels of Judaism. Um So there's so much. There's so much about the mikvah in the Holy Temple of Jerusalem. You would also use the mikvah. It's just it's sacred. It's a sacred ritual. And it's something that's really important to Jewish people and Jewish culture. We talked
1: about one quick thing is that uh, my notes state that uh saint john the baptist which is a cousin on his mother's side of jesus that's how they're related that he did baptize jesus so that's why we got on this whole thing right is that why we talked about the mikvah because of yeah. the relation? okay
0: yeah because of the baptism that's why i wanted to talk about the mikvah that's also right over on that's all sorry visitors christmas day okay so <laughs> Um that is why I wanted to talk about the mikvah because we have Jesus and Christianity and baptism. So I really wanted to point out that Judaism also has this spe- this special ritual with water. And so we could talk more about the mikvah later, but yes, let's talk about baptism. and
1: we had Saint John the Baptist. The other thing we we might not have enough time for it's up to you, but just that um, one thing I wanted to add about the baptism is just please, it's just a kind of not about the baptism itself, but it's a very important thing about the life and times of Jesus Christ and John the Baptist is that some say and there's a lot of a lot of proof that this is true in scriptures and otherwise that John the Baptist his place in jesus christ's life his death everything about it was a premonition to the what happened to jesus christ some say some scholars say that that was a warning not the baptism itself but that the actual um he got into trouble he was taken by the you know to the to the emperor and he was, he was tried for blasphemy and all this others as a heretic and all this stuff. And, and some would say, hey, you know, you should have known or, hey, you know, terror, um, death is coming to you. So that was just a, a thing that I had um, put in my mind that's interesting that they were related. He did baptize, uh, John the Baptist did baptize Jesus Christ. And that it's just, I don't know if it's ironic or what the word would be, but just that he ended up getting beheaded. Uh, meaning John the Baptist. And then that was the premonition for the m- demise of Jesus. Although they technically died in different ways, they were both murdered and both martyrs. So it's just interesting, the parallels.
0: Yeah, no, there's honestly, if we could just talk for hours and hours and days on all of the history and all of the art and all of the correlations. Maybe we will do a part two to all of this. <laughs> okay. um, I. Yeah, Um, but I do, I do want to mention that baptism is when you are wholly or partially immersed in water. This is in case some people don't know about what baptism is. There might be Jewish people watching this channel who don't know what we're talking about. So let's just go over this quickly. Sure. The water may be poured over your head or a few drops may be sprinkled or placed on your head. There's a few different ways that this ritual and immersion has traditionally played an important part in Judaism with the mikvah and in the particular significance of the rites of the Essence according to the gospels John the Baptist as you remember as you mentioned although there's no actual account for the institution of baptism baptism by Jesus the gospel according to Matthew portrays the risen Christ issuing the great commission to his followers quote, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That is Matthew um, 28 verses 19 through 20. Elsewhere in the New Testament, this formula is not used. Some scholars." Thus, doubt the accuracy of the quotation in Matthew. There's a lot of commentary back and forth about this. We were also talking about commentary earlier about how Matthew and Luke had different commentary about how they use translation from Greek, Torah. I would like to point out that in case people don't know this if they're christian and listening there's lots of commentary from jewish and rabbinic sources on the torah as well both yes. religions have commentary on sacred text yes so there is all of these different knowledgeable people who are trying to pick apart different parts of biblical religious texts and making sense of them, just like you and I are now, although we are not scholars, but we're trying to be, we're trying to be, um, so there's a lot more about baptism, I want to point out, uh, in this research, I found an original baptism certificate, it's absolutely beautiful, I'm sorry, I don't have it to show you, um, but it it was in 1788 yes so very 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 interesting um most of those baptized
1: first just read the first because we haven't got i don't know if if you or i have said this but it's it's very important to understand at the time of jesus christ that they worshiped uh the romans uh did worship They were pagans they literally worshipped altars they sacrificed animals okay so people like oh what was going on at this time well why it's significant and i'm just reading your notes on the subject in the 1700s is because they literally were pagans and they they tolerated the jews they did not like them but they paid their taxes they gave money to them they kept books they they were useful and that's why they kept the jews around when they invaded uh what is israel And what's always been Israel, actually. And so you have a very interesting note here, Hope. You have um, most of those baptized in the early church were converts from Greco-Roman paganism, because that's what they were, and therefore were adults. But that's just a very interesting point. I don't think that we, we mentioned the paganism, because some people might have assumed... Uh, 2000 years ago, that oh, these are Romans, they're Greek. Oh, they're of course, they were Christian. No, they were not. It was pagan or nothing. It was literally worshiping idols and yes, am, yes, uh, sacrifices of, of animals and people. I think they probably I, I don't know enough about paganism, unfortunately, but I, I believe they may have also. <laughs> Thank been God, in my day <laughs> job, uh, uh, don't my yeah. day job to learn about paganism, but I think they might have also um, sacrificed people. Did they not? Just like the Aztecs? Yes,
0: I believe. I believe so. Yeah. So they were doing all sorts of really weird stuff. And so the Jews were like, well, that's really weird. We're not doing that. We're going to stick with our God. We're going to stick with our ethics and our morals and our Torah. And Jesus was pretty awesome in this sense that he was out trying you know listen we always talk about how Jesus helped the poor he helped the lonely he helped the fallen he he was helping all of these people he was also helping I, I suppose pagans you know he was out there he was a friend to all he was sharing the teachings which this is something that we actually don't do in Judaism D- Jewish people don't go around converting people to Judaism It turns out Jesus was. That's
1: right.
0: In this time, everybody was pagan. Jesus is out here trying to share the teachings of the New Testament. And we're going to have to do a whole other video on Kabbalah. We've been talking for over an hour. You should come on with me and Nadia and Susan. I'm going to get all four of us scheduled to talk about Kabbalah and the chakras. And we're going to talk about Jesus wrapped up into all of that. But pretty much, Jesus was out there sharing the message of Judaism. And it in turn transformed into Christianity, the New Testament. And really, and I said this yesterday, I don't know if I mentioned it today, but it was a revolution. You have these these conflicting ideologies between caesar being the incarnate god of violence and paganism and just torture and really like an occupied horror and then you have jesus who is peace love kindness mercy forgiveness and these two questions of which which was the Christmas question? Who is your God? Is it vi- is it uh, power or justice? And so that was really interesting. I want to leave us with a few of these Jesus quotes because it's Christmas and we can't not do it. Yes. So John fourteen six. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Matthew 6.33 But first, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew 5.16 In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds And glorify your father in heaven. Good deeds in Judaism is mitzvot. You are supposed to practice mitzvahs all the time. And Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Judaism also believes in these two commandments. They just, I could go on and on and on. If you love me, keep my commandments. Yes, God says this to the Jewish people. Again, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. There is a lot of things that, jesus has said about forgiveness and repenting for your sins the jewish people also repent for our sins once a year we have yom kippur it's our day of fast and then after we repent our sins and ask god for forgiveness we are inscribed in the book of life and we will live another year with our clean souls you guys there is so much about christianity and judaism that go hand in hand Stacy, thank you. We have been talking for over an hour. We could talk all week long, seven we'll days soon. straight. We'll do, we a, we'll do
1: another one soon. This has been so fun.
0: Really, really fun. I want to bring up one picture just so people will maybe stay tuned for our next session where we talk about Kabbalah. And I want to show Jesus and the chakras. This is an absolutely stunning picture that I found on my research about Jesus being a Kabbalist. Jesus was a Jew. He taught Judaism. He knew about Jewish mysticism. He practiced magic and miracles. I'm going to leave you with this picture. Maybe you will stay tuned and join us next week. I am going to have Stacy, Susan, and Nadia of... A group of very intelligent women coming and talking to us about Jesus, Judaism, Kabbalah, spiritualism, the chakras.
1: I hope we have some some great news for your viewers, Hope, that we can bring some people home. Yeah. That would be great.
0: That would be great. Thank you for
1: having me. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much for joining me. You are a pleasure. And we do live way too close to each other to not hang yes. out. So I want to see That's you right. in person soon.
1: Of course. <laughs> Merry Christmas, even though you don't celebrate. Happy holidays.
0: I'm celebrating today. There's some people showing up. We're about to go to somebody else's house for Christmas. You know, whatever we can do to have a little bit of light, love, and fun times during these hard days, why not? I'm Absolutely. on board.
1: Absolutely. Well, have a great rest of your day, and I'll talk to you soon. I look forward to it. And thanks again. Me too.
0: Thank you, everybody, for watching, and Merry Christmas to all of you.